Hey there, welcome to Conversations About Adoption. This is your host, Jen, and um, I have today's conversation. Well, to start off with, I had a technical difficulty. I normally record this on my laptop with a microphone over Zoom. However, uh, just before we were about to record, my computer was having some technical issues and I had to restart and whammo, it had to do updates, which I don't even think were finished by the time we were done talking. So I quickly downloaded Zoom on my phone and sat my phone on my tripod and recorded the whole conversation through Zoom on my phone, which it was then saved to the cloud um, and I downloaded. I could not use my microphone because I had to have my phone plugged in so the battery wouldn't die. So I am hoping that the sound quality is okay. Um, so this conversation was with Valerie Naiman. She is an adoptee who has led quite an interesting life. Um, she just finished her memoir called Mystic Masquerade. And it. <laughs> she sent me an e-copy of it um, last night, uh, the night before our conversation. And I downloaded it onto my Kindle and started reading it. It's, <laughs> it's really good. I'm not much of a reader um, anymore due to some personal issues. I've, I've got ADHD, which makes it difficult, combined with um, some concussions that I've had that has made my ADHD worse. And um, reading is kind of difficult. I still love books. I collect them. And I still grab them off the shelf and look up things I need to. But I have a really hard time sitting and reading. Um, just the writing style of her book sucked me in and I read the intro and the first chapter and the second chapter um, pretty much right away and I was like wow uh, and I don't normally plug books like this but yeah it, it anyway and then combined with that the conversation we had was amazing it's not just about adoption because she has lived a long life uh, and done a lot of really interesting things and had lots of adventures and we talk about a lot of that um, she was involved in Broadway and uh, she sings and she was a dancer and um, she's just <laughs> just an all-around character and she actually um, wrote a couple songs to help like cope with her adoption and she sang part of one to me and I was moved to tears you'll get to hear that in the episode um, yeah I just can't even it was a really great conversation and um, I made a post on my Facebook page today that one of the wonderful things about making this podcast is a fantastic and fascinating people that I get to talk to so Make sure you are subscribed so you get notified when new podcast episodes drop because everybody knows I'm extremely inconsistent. <laughs> I'm trying to work on that. Um, but uh, yeah, I have another conversation I'm recording tomorrow. Um, that'll be up sometime next week. I'm also going to talk to Rich Erlob. We're probably going to have two sections, one based on adoption reform and advocacy and the other one based on his um, story about his musical that he's working on and uh, Emma Stevens is going to be on so like I said make sure you are subscribed so that you will know um, when the episodes drop and 
It doesn't matter where you, you listen on a lot of different platforms. If you subscribe on Spotify, even if you don't listen there as much, it will help me the most to get those numbers up um, because then I can monetize the podcast a little bit, uh, just run some ads. Um, it doesn't make very much money, but you know, even if it makes $30 in a year, that can pay for my website. So little stuff like that helps me a lot. Um, so I guess without any further ado, I will present to you the conversation I had with Valerie Naiman, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. And, you know, we get a little silly here and there, but it was just such a wonderful conversation. So I am talking with Valerie Naiman, and can you give me a little bit of background about yourself, Valerie? Mm. Yes, I'm so glad to be talking to you today. My yeah, background is varied and it spirals all over the place. I'm pretty sure I was adopted in 1950, but my adoption papers are 1954. Oh. And uh, my hospital that's on my fake birth certificate has the wrong hospital code. So I'm not even sure about the hospital. And I mean, I'll start there. And I didn't know any of this till much later. I didn't even get any kind of birth certificate till I was um, was it 22 when I had to get a passport. And that was awful because to get a passport, you have to have a birth certificate. And oh, my parents yeah. never would talk, my adopted parents never would talk to me about it. You know, I I asked once, my brother screamed about it, and I went to my parents, and they denied it, and they said, you know, we're not talking about this. Why would you even ask? It's kind of like my father's side was Jewish, and my mother's side was holistic, had the first health food store in Miami. My father's side was great-great-grandfather was one of the first rabbis in New York, so they were totally opposite, but I, they were very old when they adopted me. So when I asked, it was kind of like, oh, the doofy, a slave for you, you never show appreciation. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, so I, I always felt indebted to them, but they never really told me I was adopted. So I was really confused, but I was the only blonde haired, blue eyed person in the entire family. So, you know, so I they never to... acknowledged it. No, 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 no. Nope. So you didn't even have like the birth certificate that they got when they adopted you or amended one? After after my my parents passed away, I found files. And in that, I also found a file of my father uh, requesting the state of Florida um, for a birth certificate. And I, I mean, I was I think I was in high school by that time. I wasn't in the system. So uh, that, you know, showed me right there, they didn't have it. But when I um, ended up getting the one that they got, of course, it, that that's the one that had the wrong hospital name on it or the wrong hospital code. My my mother's name, my adopted mother's name was misspelled. Did, there was so much that didn't didn't match up. And so it's amazing that, a birth certificate, you'd think 
that it would be so a vital piece of paper that they're going to, you know, do the right thing back in the 50s. I mean, I needed a birth certificate to register my kid for school. So I, you know, yeah, <laughs> like I can't even. Uh, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I had no social security number, nothing like that. Wow. And I found out that there was. I, you know, when I started researching all of this, the hospital I was born in, this kind of thing, I found out that there was a baby ring in the 50s in Miami. And um, there was this woman named Dr. Cole who, you know, took all these women, you know, poor or this kind of thing, having a baby and sold them illegally, made tons of money with no papers, no transfers nothing to this day there's people that don't know who they are and that woman that woman went to her grave with that secret and it was all exposed that's like another georgia tan yeah definitely wow so many different babies so for a while i thought i was what they call a coal baby (laughs) but let's let's see that i have barely gotten out of what my story is but it's it's very complicated and I um, did end up getting my passport. And when I was younger, I tended to be my mother's showpiece. I think Mm. she always wanted to be an actress. And so she was a show mother. Then I had every kind of class you can imagine. And so they would take me down to the Jewish restaurant on the weekends and put me on the table and I'd be their Shirley Temple tap dancing. So my whole life, I was used to entertaining. And then um, I, I ended up, you know, in high school and going, getting into theater. And then I won all these awards as an actress. And then I went on to get my Master of Arts in Theater Arts and worked on Broadway and did all of that kind of stuff. And I didn't know that what I was trying to do is find my identity. Yeah. I, I didn't know. It's like all of us adoptees, most all of us wear different masks at different times because there's not that solid base in us that connects us because yeah. we're removed from all the smells and scents and, and feelings and sounds of our, our, our mother who birthed us. Yeah. And that, when you're ripped out of that scene, it's going to affect you. But there's no there's no uh, counseling for most adoptees. There's no understanding of what that is. There's more understanding for for dogs, for goodness sakes. You're not supposed to take a puppy away from its mother for at least two months. Yeah, right, right. That's true. There are like I that's the reason why I went back to school is to. Uh, I have more time ahead of me to do this, but my goal was to become a um, a therapist for adoptees. Um, so and there's a lot more adoptees that are becoming therapists. And um, in fact, there's a, um, oh God, I'm drawing a blank on her name right now, but there is an adoptee who's a therapist and he has a whole list of um, adoptees who are therapists that, you know, if people ask for it, he'll send it to you, wow. you know. Yeah, I don't really believe anybody can be adoption competent unless they're an adoptee because uh, I don't either. You, there's no way to know what it's actually like unless you are adopted. 
You know, you can understand it logically, but it's not the same thing. Right. Because it's part of us inside and it's, it's, it's embedded in us. No one else has that experience. So yeah, I think adoptive counselors are vital. And when I was looking, I wasn't able to find one in all the United States. And so when I finally, I I have what I call my inner community. So I try and get consensus with my inner characters and, uh, you know, they were all yelling at me and I said, oh, I, I'm not going to be able to do this search anymore. I got to do this. I got to do that. And, and, and one of my inner characters was, you know what, you need professional help. And yeah. that's the voice that did win. And I, that's when I found out there wasn't anybody mm-hmm. at that time. And so I finally found a social type of social worker. I forgot what his credentials really are, but um, he's written books about adoption healing and he was doing a retreat in the Virgin. Yes. I went to one of his retreats. Yeah. The one in Virgin Islands. Uh, No, no, no. I went to one at his place in New York. Yeah. I went to one at his place in New York a few years ago too. Um, But the one in Virgin Islands was fabulous. It was so great. And it was only seven of us. And that's the first time I'd been around adoptees. And mm. so, yeah. And Joe Soul was like the only one back when I was doing this. Yeah. I mean, I've been searching for decades. Yeah. So I, I went um, for that. 2013. I went to his place for a, a healing uh-huh. retreat. Uh-huh. It was amazing. There was a reunited mother and daughter there. There was a woman who came all the way from New Zealand, a birth mom. It wow. Was, it was really amazing. That's fabulous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I learned so much from him. That was the first time that I had even heard about the primal wound. Mm-hmm. You know, when I started my search, there weren't even computers. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It wasn't a thing. We didn't have cell phones and computers back then. So, you know, I did a lot of paper shuffles. But, yeah, I bet. Yeah. And I've kept so many journals. Houses. Yeah, the book, I've written a book about it. And if I didn't have all my journals and cassette tapes from psychics, uh, there's no way I would remember what was before what and what was after what and the details of what happened. So I'm really excited. I finished the book and it's in pre-launch stage on my website. And I just finished formatting it and sent it off to get a proof. I'd show it to you. Are we on video? Yes. Yes. I oh, oh, I have, have the image. You sent it to me. And oh, uh, you you sent me the um, the PDF of it last night. And I opened it in my Kindle. And I only read up to um, and part of chapter two. Uh-huh. And I was like pretty much sucked in right away. It's uh-huh. like I really appreciate the writing style. Thank and you. that that whole opening scene of like your brother coming into the aviary and being like they're not our parents and like I'm like oh my god what a way to find out like I can't even imagine like I I, oh it hurts my head you know I was told when I was five my mom was like well you know you're in school so we better tell you and um it didn't go well I I didn't react positively I i not one of those little kids that had tantrums. Like I would have, I would sit down and cry. I would get frustrated and cry. Um, 
but I never really had tantrums. And I flipped out when my mom told me that I was adopted and kicking and screaming. And where's my mommy? Why didn't she want me? And, um, of course. Yeah. Totally traumatized by that. And, and just like, I don't know. And it's funny because you know how, like they say people that have experienced like a lot of trauma in childhood, when they try to reflect on their childhood, they don't remember a lot. Like there are certain instances where I remember every detail, but like everything else is kind of a blur. Hmm. And I remember when I was a kid, I would be telling something to somebody and I would be like, oh, when I was such and such age and this happened and when I was this and this age and it was always five years old. It's like I got stuck there. Wow. And everything happened when I was five. Like, I'm like, is that a psychological phenomenon or something? You know? Well, yeah, that was interesting. Maybe that was the 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 biggest trauma, and the biggest traumas are what's going to stay with us. And yeah, you know, we can heal it as much as we want, but the scar is always there, and it'll scratch open. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It does. It gets scratched open every so often, doesn't it? It sure does. <laughs> <laughs> I got scratched open, and I I found. I did find my birth mother finally, and she didn't didn't um, fess up that she was my mother, and she agreed to meet me. Oh wow! Only, and it took a lot of coercing, but only if I'd agree to be a secret. So <laughs> I remained a secret. I found her at um, ninety four. I found her at ninety four. Wow! And we laughed a lot. We we talk alike and laugh alike, and we both love to dance. We went out dancing, Aww. and she still drove and lived alone and was so independent. She was so queenie, but um, yeah, she ended up throwing a party uh, for one of her uh, somebody that she knew. I forgot who he was at this point. I was focused on other things, but she threw a big party and all the family came and I posed as a photographer. Oh, wow. It was the most outrageous day of my life, you know, trying to hold yourself together and people are asking you questions and you're just Uh. shaking inside. Oh yeah. Yeah. My grandparents had their 50th anniversary shortly after um, I met them. It was like a month later. Like I uh-huh. talked to my grandmother on Monday. I met them on Wednesday. It was literally wow. like bam, bam. Because they lived 20 miles from where I grew up. They weren't far away, you know? Okay. And um, yeah. And my brother, other people that listen to the podcast don't know this, but I went to high school. My own brother was at my high school. He got expelled from his and his grandparents were raising him and they wanted him to graduate. So they sent him to the next like closer school that had a good reputation and paid tuition. Wow. And so the last two years I was in high school, I got bullied by my own little brother. That was fun. Oh my God. I know. I found out in the end that my siblings went to the same school as me too. And it's, oh my God, what about, you know, that, what do they call it? Genetic attraction? Yes. It just, you were bullied. Ah, This was your older brother. No, he's three years younger than me. Wow. Yeah. I got, I got one three years younger, one three years older. And then my, I got one, one um, sister 
uh, three years older and one younger. Wow. Yeah, my my mother was 16 when she um, was pregnant with me, managed to stay in school and hid the pregnancy. Wow. Um, it was a big lie, but like <laughs> I found out last year, I met I met my aunts, my dad's sisters last year. Uh-huh. And the uh, second to youngest one was actually best friends with my mother. Huh. And she was, we were talking on the phone and she was like, I, I knew. She's like, I knew that she was pregnant. She's like, and she's like, I went with her story to defend her because, you know, at that time, you know, 71, if you're in school and pregnant, you're going to get expelled. And she's like, so I defended her and told people, no, and I was a fibroid tumor was the story. But she said the one time she cornered my mother in the bathroom and she's like, look, I'm defending you everywhere. She's like, I need to know like what's going on, you know, and she told her she stuck to her story and told my aunt that it was a fibroid tumor and then took her hand and put it on her stomach. And my aunt was like, I felt your head. Wow. She's like, I knew she was lying. She's like, I, she, but she was like, her mind was blown. She's like, I felt you. She's like, I knew, I knew that you were coming, you know? Wow. And I'm like, that's the craziest thing that my own aunt like felt me in utero, you know? Right. <laughs> But all the, you know, that shame and secrecy and all that. And I was delivered over spring break. You know, she had surgery to remove the tumor over spring break. And that was that. Uh, Went back to school. So, wow. Yeah. Yep. I don't see how you can, you can hide nine months of pregnancy. Well, it was, you know, the baby doll tops they wore in the 70s. And apparently my uh, mom had a very slender build, you know, and it wasn't uh-huh. super obvious. So, How much did you weigh when you were born? I was like five pounds or something. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. wow. Well, we have some similar similar things going on. <laughs> yeah. A lot of adoptees do. It's it's interesting. There's always these like common commonalities, you know, like differing details, but certain commonalities. It's pretty interesting. Right. Yeah. I, I I am so happy to be involved with the adoptee community. When I was going through my search, there wasn't an adoptee community that I knew of to to plug into. And because yeah. I'm I'm either um, 69 or 73. So. <laughs> you don't know. Oh, my gosh. My brother says, no, you're 73. My adopted brother. He's three years older than me. And so he he's convinced that. I am 73. I kind of like not knowing. It's like I was born, supposing I'm both of my fake birth certificates on June 20th. And so that year uh, uh, was the summer solstice. And so I celebrate on June 20th and the summer solstice, which is sometimes the 21st, sometimes the 20th. Sure. I get to have two, two different birthdays. So I just had one. And today is quite an interesting day. My mother would have been 100 today. This is wow. Yeah, today's her birthday. She passed away Christmas. Oh, wow. Um, But I had four great years with her. And, you know, she wouldn't tell me who he was, who my birth father was, all of this. And so, you know, I, I had three DNA tests to run her down. The wow. first test I had, 
didn't tell me anything. My friend, you got to test with National Geographic and how helpful it was for him. So I got a National Geographic Geno test. They've taken it all offline now. So it's really aggravating. But I took that test and there was no matches. But I did learn that I have one of the highest percentages of Denisovan DNA or Denise, and oh. however you pronounce it. And I'm like, what's that? I've never, yeah, heard I don't even know. That. I've never heard of that. So many people haven't. So this was like, what, four years ago when I was going through this four or five. And so I, I Googled, you know, I had a computer then and I'm Googling. And the first thing that pops up is meet the strangest hybrid in history. And I'm like, Oh God, that explains it. I'm an alien for goodness. <laughs> That's why there's no records. You know, it's like the angels came and mated with the pretty women type of thing, you know, from the, <laughs> it's like, I mean, in all the, I got into religion that I got into in college and I switched to philosophy and then back to religion. And then I thought, no, I was right the first time. It's all a drama. It's all the Leela. So then I went back into theater arts. But um, yeah, that that blew me away. So that had me down some big rabbit holes for the next yeah, exactly. Trying to figure out all that stuff. And I did find out that they they were uh, this meeting. They only discovered this uh, this last decade. Uh, they found some finger bone and then some other things. They found some jewelry that's precisely drilled um, jade pieces, this kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I studied, went down that rabbit hole pretty deep. And <clears throat> my mother said the first thing that she noticed about me, um, my adopted mother was telling her, look, she has such a pointy chin and such long fingers. Like my hands are like a man's hand. Just put them up next to almost any man and my hands are as big and really? so yeah and I found out that the uh Denisovans have lot and, and I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right some people say Denisovan some say Denisovan and named after some cave in Siberia I think but um my mother said look at her long fingers and pointy chin <laughs> So, <laughs> ah, yes, the better to get you with my little yes, dear. Very safe, yeah. very witchy. <laughs> yes, I'm very witchy. <laughs> my my uh, friend brought me over a, a coffee cup for my birthday of, you know, Dorothy and the, and the Wicked Witch that Margaret Hamilton played in the movie. And it, and it just, I'll get you my life. pretty. Exactly. <laughs> And your little dog too. And your little doggy too. Yes. <laughs> and I was having such a hard time getting through all the formatting rounds. It's like she it, it said on his eyes, oh my dear, some things take a little time. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm good with it now. I'm so happy to be over this this um hump. Writing it is one thing, but then all the stuff you have to think about afterwards. Oh my know, gosh. A, a lot of adoptees out there, and I, I want them to write. The more that's out there, the more we can spread the word and the more different um, 
perspectives that we can see and we yeah. do need to see different perspectives because yeah. you know a lot of a lot of adoptees are deep into the trauma and haven't been able to get out yet and yeah. so we we need support and i just want every adoptee to write about their story I've been planning writing a book. I've been planning on writing a book and I started a new strategy. So I made a folder on my desktop that Uh has what my book title was going to be, which is the last thing my grandmother ever said to me. The, you know, you focus too much on being adopted and you ask too many questions. It's going to be either one of those parts. And um, what I do is when I feel like writing, I sit down and I open a new Word document and I just let it pour out and then I stick right. it in that folder. And so at least I get some ideas down and, you know, I can refine them later because I've been toying with the idea of writing a book for like 20 years ever since I went through a reunion and, and um, you know, but it's just, it's hard to like sit down and actually do it, you know? So yeah, the strategy for me, I have to have I have to be inspired to do my writing and I find yeah. that I do my best writing after no one is around that nobody's going to be coming in the house. Yeah. You know, and I usually like nine or 10 o'clock and then I'll write till two. Especially, quiet. especially in the winter when I have my fireplace going, that's my prime writing space. It's just feels good. so good. Yeah. I like yeah. you to write. It's like doing what you're doing is great. It's like if I didn't have all the journals, I have stacks and stacks of journals from decades. And if I didn't have all of those, I, I don't think I'd been able to write this book. Yeah, I, so, I can imagine. There was so much. I mean, I went to, at one point I thought, oh my God, I, I've tried everything. I got three DNA tests and nothing is working. It's just too strange. And so I thought, ah, I know what I'll do. I'll find some psychics. And so my my thought was, if I can get two psychics to give me the same mother's name, then I'll have it, right? So mm-hmm. I found that the largest congregation of psychics in America live in Casadega, Florida. And okay. I, that ain't that far from me. And so I drove to Asheville and I mean, I drove to Casadega and stayed in the one room that they never rent out, but the hotel was full and they have one that's haunted. <laughs> so nobody no. wants to stay there. And I thought, I don't care. I'm staying. So I had all these readings. I had three readings this the next morning and a couple more. And I, I think I had five or six readings altogether and nothing, nothing. I mean, Quite a few of them told me that they saw water, you know, and um, my non-identifying information, which I got twice, did say that she was from the largest far western coastal state, so California, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, but the the psychics, I have audio recordings of all that and my journals, and I didn't know until maybe 15 years later, that a lot of it was true. Huh. Because it didn't make any sense at the time. Yeah. It, it, so much of it came to pass. And the same thing happened with, um, um, let's see, I forgot my train. My train of thought is running off. The psychics. Yeah, the psychics. It was 
re- I, I highly suggest it for anybody who's stuck in, mm-hmm. in, in a search is to go to Castega, find this woman, get a hold of me and I'll tell you who the ones are that it worked well with. And That's interesting. it was amazing. And I did, you know, I've done so many crazy things and I did, you know, then I tried, I think what I tried to do is start my own family. So I was a founder of, uh, had a vision actually, and founded the first permaculturally designed and planned Echo Village of North America. And oh. it still exists. It's great. It's called Earth Haven Echo Village. Oh, interesting. Uh-oh, I've got a background noise. Sorry. It's all right. Okay. Um, and now my computer's going ding, ding. My Roomba woke me up this morning, smashing into my door for some reason, <laughs> decided to start you know, and I was up till way late last night doing all kinds of stuff, harvested honey, needed to do that. And just, I, I was trying to get my book uploaded to Ingram. <laughs> One thing and another, pixels and widows and orphans, you know, who'd have thought writing a book, you get to a point where you're really concerned about widows and orphans. And that's an author term. That's a writing term. It's like, it's like, one word at the bottom of a paragraph or, or you know, something right in the middle with too much space. Widows and orphans. Now, they're going to call them widows and orphans. Goodness. <laughs> yeah, they, they call them. Um, I got goats and they, they, everybody calls them kids, right? So yeah, why, the why do they call kids kids and goats kids? I don't get it. I don't know either. It's, it's, it's kind of mind blowing. But um. Oh, I just ha- I have so many stories. I don't know where to start. And I'm kind of rambling through different parts of my my journey. It's okay. Did you um did you ever do ancestry DNA? Yes, I did ancestry after I did um uh National Geographic genome. Then I did ancestry and I had some third cousins and beyond. And yeah. I started, you know, I was hoping for like a first cousin, because <laughs> if you get a first cousin, you can get somewhere, right? Yeah, yeah. And the first cousin can turn out to be a sibling, you know, half sibling. So I just went for it. I got a printer, I got a Rima recycle paper. I printed out all these trees of these different people that were like third cousins and tried to glue them together with somebody else (laughs) that matched. And then this room I'm sitting here goes into my kitchen here. And by the time that I had printed these out, it started on this table I'm at and came out here, went through the kitchen out into my living room. It was a patchwork quilt. My friend came over and he had to hopscotch to get in. And he's like, I'm going to bring you some banners. So he brought these giant, like four feet by five foot big banners that you could stick paper on and then you could move it from one place. That was a lifesaver. But I had I had like six of those up and it still dragged into the other room. And it, it yeah. drove me nuts. It, I wasn't getting anywhere. I thought I was a descendant of Ulysses S. Grant for a while. That that didn't turn out to be right. You know, and I would send messages to these people. And you got to be careful. You don't want to say yeah. I'm adopted, you know, can you help me find my who I am? So I got nowhere with um, that. 
And then after another long time, I did uh, 23 and me. I thought, okay. well, there's one more. I might get a hit. So I did that and I still didn't get anywhere. And I'm like, I don't get it. I, I got DNA, right? Where does it go to? Yeah, where'd it come from? <laughs> yeah. Not these aliens that came down and were the Denisovans. I don't know. But I was determined. My girlfriend comes over and she um, she comes in and she goes, she sees all the papers all over my house. And she said, I'm taking you to a movie right now. And so <laughs> we left because there was a showing for Lion coming right up. So we left. Oh, no. Yeah. And when it got to the part where he's got things pasted up on the wall, I mean, his was nothing in comparison to what the patchwork I had going on. She like elbowed me in the movie and go, that's you. Yeah. (laughs) It was such a great movie. I I started in an adoptee group here in Asheville and um, people would come once a month and then we do something. And another time a month, and I, I I bought that film and showed it to all of them. And it's a great film. Yeah, it is truly. It's amazing how he was able to use the technology to, you know, with his memory and you know landmarks and stuff like that to figure it out. It's it's truly, it's a very moving story. In the end, I I ball my eyes out every time, even though I know what's coming. <laughs> Me too. And it was so, it was portrayed so well by him, but the whole landscape and scenery. Oh, I know where I was in talking to you that I created a family, right? So I, I had a vision and I, I created Earth Haven community or I, I had a vision and started bringing people together. And then um, we opened Earth Haven community, which is um, about 40 minutes from where I am now. I did 14 years of that. And then I ended up meeting somebody that was just intrigued me, a spiritual teacher. And then I ended up going to India for two weeks and threw away my return ticket and stayed 11 years. Wow. So I came back here about four years ago and maybe it's been five and moved into this house I'm in, which is an old 1927 house. Um, and I sold my place at Earth Haven. Um, but I moved here. This was the way station. The four of us who had had a vision together. It's another story. We were taking an Incan Chasky messenger, Incan messenger, to visit with the Hopi elders to share their stories. And mm. uh, that night we had we all had the same vision and we pieced it together the next day and we made a pact that we would follow through. And that was the beginning of Earth Haven Echo Village, which was a crazy thing to do. I mean, I had opened a costume shop and balloon delivery service, the first ones in Asheville, North Carolina, and I ended up selling my business to throw it into this vision. And so, um, yeah, and we had bought this small place here at six acres and five houses in town in Asheville as a place for everybody to move to. And so when I came back from India and my house was rented out at Earth Haven, I sold it and moved in here and fell in love with the property and enjoying enjoying that. But it was like in retrospect, I tried to create a family and never leave me. Yeah, it seems like it, huh? Did yeah. you ever um, 
you know, get married or anything like that or have kids or no. Uh, I did some fake weddings. Uh, never, ever <laughs> sent any papers in. The, the idea of getting married just, it's like, what would I tell kids if I had them? You know, like, oh, you're an alien. <laughs> you know, I just never felt like confident about having children. I just really? didn't know enough about myself. And so, no, I didn't do that. When my mother was dying of cancer, uh, her kind of dying wish was to see me get married. And I was the costume designer for the Coconut Grove Playhouse at the time uh, during Equus. It was the world premiere of Equus. And so I um, told the technical director, and we were good buddies, and he said, let's do it. My mother wanted me to get married and settle down. Your adoptive mom? Yeah. Okay. So we threw a wedding. <laughs> didn't didn't do it's the crazy. papers anywhere. And then we had, you know, we were, you know, I, I told, I didn't want to be indebted to him either. So we made the agreement that whatever he wanted to do for the next three years, I'd do it. <laughs> and so, so we were together three years and then we split, but he wanted to go sailing. And I thought, oh, that's great. So. That night after the wedding, the next day after the wedding, we we had a 40-foot Alden Cutter sailboat and we just kind of sailed off into the sunset. And uh wow. Yeah, my parents thought, oh yeah, they're gonna be grand grandparents soon. But no, that was not in the equation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I oh, did it a wow. second time too. I've done it a couple times and Ah, just it's it's hard if you're a real independent woman you're trying to live alone when I left the film and television industry I came Mm -hmm. to North Carolina of all places and lived in a hundred year old cabin and tried to learn to chop wood carry water and it was (laughs) you know crazy it was the the wood stove caught on fire and I'm I'm thinking you're gonna have to have a relationship you know this isn't gonna work you're going to have to do that. So, so I did. And uh, met a guy picking apples and there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like your life's been quite an adventure. Yeah. So your book, is it mostly just your um, like adoption memoir or does it cover like a lot of different adventures in your life? Um, it It is an adoptee search for truth. And so it covers a lot of area and it does take you around the world as well because it was all related. When yeah. my 11 years in India, I'd found my spiritual father. That's what he was to me. And so I'm trying to open Stephen King's book and read you my contents. I wrote <laughs> my book around Stephen King's. He has typos and orphans and widows. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's funny. so funny. He's, but I just wrapped it around so I could see what it would look like, you know. Yeah, yeah. Some of my printouts of my inner part of my book. Sorry, I'm making noise here. It's okay. I'm not picking up any of it. (laughs) Okay. It was so funny, you know, to get an email from a publicist. I was like, oh wow, because I. That's not like a very common thing. My podcast is still very, very tiny. Has a very, very small audience. It's slowly growing, but Uh like just. Totally shocks me to like get an email from a publicist. I'm like, wow. 
she's she's been really sweet and great and it, that was her idea that we need to get you on podcast because the way you talk is amazing so you know <laughs> plus i have story songs if you get on my website valerienaman.com you can see some of the story songs of my adoption the one i put up there i'm singing to my mother and it's like um i never seemed to belong so i coped by being strong, thinking I could do it all by myself, but I was so wrong. It's connection I needed all along. You let me go, but the bond remains, because your blood is running through my veins. You stole my identity on my birthday, so I learned to role play, making myself up all along the way well is the character i become a lot like you do i walk and talk and sing the blues like you do too anyway i'm i'm doing oh I'm a singer and i've been in a band and this kind of stuff and i love to write songs and so i've written songs throughout the year during my search so that was really moving <laughs> so in the addition to my book it's a book, ebook, audiobook. I'm, uh, I've already recorded the audiobook except for the last few chapters and um, just did it myself since I've done voiceover before. So that worked. Still looking for my, I just have so many notes and stuff of my thing. But my book, they can hear a chapter of the audiobook on my website too. It starts out, there's five parts selfdom, questing, allure, and. Um, it missing links and yeah i gotta find it i gotta find the last one where's my book when i need it i see i don't have a book yet so i'm waiting for it it's in my computer but did you ever uh sing that for your mom or um yeah what'd she think oh she she just she was amazed at everything i'd done she goes no people won't believe what you've done (laughs) our thing was dancing we love to dance and so that's one of my chapters it's not about my mother but it's called dancing in and out of character and miss and the wish the wish is about my mother's wish to see me get married and identity theft and um revolver persuasion which is what kicked me out of um my film and television life and then I get into the questing part, which is the esoteric guidance from numerous others, including some I just told you about the um, going to Casadega to see the psychics. And then there's a piece about Asheville, some funny stories about Asheville and my vision quest and working with different shamans and researching different prophecies and and then Earth Haven. And so there's a thing about that. And then then I ended up Oh, uh, living with the Maori tribe in New Zealand, which was a freaky thing. And um, another one called the Amulet. And then India beckons is when I get to India. And I think there needs to be a documentary about your life. (laughs) (laughs) My friend who's a documentary filmmaker, she actually uh, documented uh, something I did in India. I got plastic bags banned at the largest gathering in the world. Wow. Uh, it was the Kumbh Mela, Kumbh Mela 2010. 
you can Google it on YouTube. It's I think it's um, say no to plastic bags, Kumbamela 2010. You'll you'll know huh. me. I have a big red wrap around my head, which is a whole other story of what happened <laughs> in India. But um, yeah, getting that done was just such a mission. So for me, it was like. Uh, in India, my teacher became my father, my mother became the sacred Mataganga, the river, and seeing all the people polluting it and what happened, I just, it would bring tears to my eyes. So yeah. I fought and, and I learned Hindi and, and some Sanskrit. And so I was, oh. the media ate me up. My teacher didn't even know I could sing. And one of the first days I was there, I'm, I was invited to go with him some places and there's like thousands of people and I get pushed up on stage with them sitting behind him and he moves me forward. And when he was through talking, he looks at me and he goes, sing. <laughs> I'm like, he doesn't even know I sing. That was one of the beginnings of so many miraculous things that happened in India and also getting some ancient astrology readings. Uh, there was so much that happened and it's all connected to my, my adopted life. Wow. All sinks in. Then after India, let's see, grace and renunciation. Oh, and then I ended up in the Amazon jungle doing ayahuasca and. Oh man, that's something that seems like it'd be amazing to try. Yeah. I've done it twice. And uh, you know, I, I, strongly promote psilocybin ayahuasca the natural substances that are here on this planet yeah don't subscribe to anything that isn't natural but if you can be in a good space and have a good person with you to to support your energy while you're doing that because a lot of people are scared to do something like that the first time yeah but it can open up so many doors yeah it's just a, an amazing, uh, psilocybin is my, uh, my go-to. If I am totally stuck, I'll usually do a visioning once or twice a year. It's and really so, interesting how like psychology is starting to, you know, finally. they're trying to get laws passed or get things changed so that they can do more research on psilocybin as like you know, treatment for depression and things like that. And I, I think that's pretty fascinating. I had a psychology professor professor who wrote a paper about microdosing. Nice. And, uh, you know, to treat depression and things like that. I, I found it pretty interesting. Fabulous. I mean, it's such a healing modality and they have enough information. It's just that the the pharmaceutical companies don't make money on it. And it's all about no. it's all about money. Down, I never I, I just don't do doctors. Really? I, I have a belief um, that there is a cure for every ailment, unless you're in a car accident or something. <laughs> yeah, right. A traumatic I, injury. I broke my wrist in two with a whole, I won't tell you how it happened, but anyway, it broke in <laughs> two and, and I had to go to, I, I, for two days, I wasn't even, so my friend said, I'm taking you to get it checked out. Just, just I said, it's not broken. It's not broken. Well, it was broken in two. 
I let them take oh an X-ray God. and they wanted to give me surgery. And so I had a big cast on it and it's like, oh God. Then they gave me one with bells and whistles, you know, some of the new cast that you can, you can almost sing to it or something. But <laughs> I started researching it and I found out that you can actually um, diagnose whether something is broken or fractured by yourself with a tuning fork. So I got every kind of tuning fork there was. And there's really? one that helps heal broken bones. And sure really? enough, I when I went, I went back to the doctor to check after that. They wanted me to do the surgery. And I said, no, but I want to see the, I want to see how if it's improved. And sure enough, it improved. And wow, that's nuts. Yeah, it started fusing back together. I mean, huh. it took longer than, you know, surgery, but. I had my Darth Vader glove on and so what? Way know. less invasive. Yes. I'm scared of doctors. I have fainted at the sight of blood since I was an infant. And so, you know, even when I was a young lady and I got my period, I would faint if I saw blood. My brother, really? my brother, my antagonist, he was like, she's got it again. Oh, so oh god thanks for the announcement yeah, yeah. And then i would go into seizures later in life and whatever and then i got into edgar casey so my parents just would drag me to the doctor and i just faint anyway and they gave me all this medication and i wouldn't take it i just pretended i i wasn't gonna i never trusted doctors yeah i had a lot of medical trauma because, you know, of course, when you're adopted and there's no medical history, right? you know, they've got to throw everything at you if there's an issue to figure out what's going on. And right. um, my growth was kind of stunted. Mm. And because my dad, my adoptive dad had like issues with his pituitary gland, like that's where he went in his mind. So I got, you know, taken to this growth hormone specialist every six months for several years and every single time it was traumatic because Aww. you know they would x-ray my wrist that's not a big deal but then he'd want to look in my underwear to see if like oh. I have yeah and then like feel my chest to see if I have breast buds and then they've got to draw blood and every single oh. time it was like the entire staff had to hold me down because I was kicking and screaming and fighting I get um, it which was really traumatizing because it was over and over and over again Wow. And um, yeah, about uh, 13 years ago, I had a, a situation where a doctor almost killed me. I'll try to keep it short because <laughs> this is a freer story. Um, but I have asthma and I have aspirin sensitive asthma. And um, I went thinking I had a, um, uh, a tubal pregnancy because I had pain. And I didn't have any medical insurance at the time and they didn't do anything for me other than a pregnancy test. And he goes, you know, you're not pregnant. You probably have a cyst that's rupturing. And he said, I'm going to give you something for pain and nausea. And the thing he gave me for pain was made from aspirin. So oh, no. fast forward a day and a half later, I had kidney and liver failure. Oh no. Yeah. Oh, and so God. I spent eight days in the hospital, four days in critical care, which is their equivalent of ICU, and then five weeks on um, uh, dialysis. Oh, you poor thing. Oh my yeah, God. and 
you know, the kidney doctor said because of my age and it was like an acute thing because it was caused by something that I would recover. And I did, thankfully, but, you know, oh my God. I, that just, you know, it got me over my fear of needles because <laughs> oh I was incapacitated. So they, I couldn't do anything and I was getting poked a hundred times a day in different ways. And I'm so, so sorry you had to go through that. Yeah, that's one way to get over uh, fear of needles. But oh you know what's God. crazy is, you know, um, like I do, I'm not a religious person. I grew up Catholic and I, so I like, I always joke. I was like, yeah, I was raised Catholic. So now I'm a cynic. Um, yeah. <laughs> a lot of bar. Cause I've seen things in like my family and stuff that were like, wait, this is Catholic. Okay. Um, and so I, I kind of, as soon as I was confirmed, you know, you go through confirmation in a Catholic church and my adopted mom was like, well, in the eyes of the church, you're an adult now. If you don't want to go to church anymore, you don't have to. So I quit, you know, um, and so I put my time instead into like volunteering and stuff like that. You. And, um, Fabulous. and now I lost my tangent. Oh, oh you lost your train too. <laughs> uh, yeah. I always, I always wanted to have kids and huh. um, like, or I wanted to at least have one. And, but I have polycystic ovarian and, um, and so like, I just would get no cycles like for years, nothing. And after I went through that episode, uh, I started, I had like a cycle the following, like that was in September, the following January, I had a cycle and I asked my doctor about it. And like, you know, what do you think about like going through pregnancy after this whole kidney thing? And she's like, well, you know, go to women's health and get checked out and see what they say. So I did, I skipped a month and then the following month I had a cycle and they're like, well, we're going to do ultrasounds and this and that, and just check you out. And, um, she wanted to put me on Clomid and I'm like, I do not want twins. I want one. I just, you know, and I know that's, I probably don't know what I'm talking about, but that's like a fear I have, you know, any fertility drugs, you can result in multiples. And so she's like, well, I'll give you this and you take it. At the at the beginning of the month, you take a pregnancy test, and if you're negative, you take this pill for ten days, and it'll force you to have a cycle and ovulate. Mm-hmm. I never needed to. I got pregnant on my own, like before wow. that I even had. Yeah, and it was like I feel like it was meant to be, you uh-huh. know. So I had I had my kiddo just literally three months shy of forty. Mm. So, yeah, it was kind wow. of old to have a child, but yeah, and my adoptive parents were older too, so like uh-huh. I get that whole my dad was 12 years older than my mom wow Um, yeah and like he was born in 1926 and she was born in 37 so I had silent generation parents Uh uh-huh and um yeah it's just interesting and then my my biological parents are boomers you know my where my dad is still around he's a uh Uh he's a boomer oh Wow, I was thinking you were younger because now you um, something you said earlier that four years ago when you were in college. I'm 52 and I just graduated in May. Oh, so. okay. <laughs> that makes sense then. Yeah. Yep. What did you graduate with? Bachelor's in social work. Uh-huh. Well, that's fabulous. You'll be a good, I mean, you're a good listener. You're a good talker. You know that you know, those woes of adoptees. So we need more and more counselors in that respect. Yeah. I've been advocating for, uh, 
I wouldn't say necessarily adoption reform, but like trying to educate the public on like the false narrative of adoption that it's inherently right. all good because right. everybody wants to believe that, you know, that it's that it's this great thing and oh, yeah. it is extremely flawed and needs to be, you know, but it's right. it's it's one of those things where it's like an uphill battle, a losing battle. And I don't know if it's ever going to stop, you know, especially with them overturning Roe v. Wade. And I saw this video on TikTok yesterday where this woman who has no affiliation with adoption at all, but she writes a newsletter about um, abortion like every week or something. And she's been doing a lot of digging and she's like, they are basically trying to recreate the baby scoop again. Yeah. They're going to use all those um christian um crisis pregnancy centers and open maternity homes it's terrible you know to coerce you know <sighs> vulnerable women right and um i interviewed or not exactly interviewed but i had a conversation a couple weeks ago with uh, lisa elaine scott and she is making a film right now called nice. all you have is love uh-huh. about oh, I saw ex- that somewhere yeah yeah about exposing the adoption industry and for what it is and how it it does its practices and so I'm very excited for that I hope she gets good funding behind her yeah. well they just hit their first goal um she she had a a, a seed and spark campaign and the goal was 25,000 and they had to get to at least 80% for her to get the money and uh-huh. they got it Great. So now right. she's going on it. She said it's going to be a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar project ultimately because she wants it to be very high quality so that it gets out there in the public eye. You know, yeah, and two hundred fifty thousand is not much to produce a, a good documentary, right? Just right. There's a lot to it. I've done a few documentaries too, and so Mayan teachings, things like that. But it takes a lot. Yeah, this woman who um, recorded the whole thing at the Kumbamela when I got plastic bags banned. She was a documentary filmmaker, and we became really good friends. And so, yeah, she's recorded some of my life. She wants to do a documentary, but she lives in Amsterdam, so it's, <laughs> I don't know when that's going to ever happen. Right, right. The bloody thing. It's like when I finally did meet my mother. You know. Yeah. I, I said, you know, I fainted all my life and I just freak out when I see blood. And so I asked her, I said, did you ever faint? And she's like, oh, I don't remember anything. I don't remember going to the hospital. I don't remember having you. And I don't remember all the pain you gave me. I thought, oh, my God, that laid me flat. That was she scary. doesn't remember all the pain. She can yeah. say that, but she doesn't remember it. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. Well, she she even didn't admit that um, who my father was too. And I I found him. Did you? Yeah. And she had given me a name. Nothing matched up in any of my three DNA tests. It's like, uh yeah. So it was. Was it Mother's Day? April Fools was either. E- I don't remember April Fool's. It was either Easter or Mother's Day. It was, it was a holiday, right? And I, yeah. I called her and I played a joke on her and I said, "Hey, you know what? You're gonna be so excited. 
I found my birth father and he is so handsome. Oh my oh, goodness. And he <laughs> wants to see you again and blah, 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 blah. And she goes, oh, who is it? What's his name? What does he do? Where does he live? And I'm like, uh-uh, Ma, this is my time to ask the questions. So <laughs> um, do you want to meet him? And she would just hemmed and hawed, you know, this went on for quite a while. And then finally she said she, she would want to meet him. And so when I hung the phone up, it's like, well, it's a good thing it's April Fool's. Uh, <laughs> but then I knew there was the possibility it could be somebody else, right? Wow. So following on the name, it's like, she ended up lying about her name on the birth certificate. Wow. She lied about so much stuff. Even when I found her, it's like I got... For my birthday, she wanted to know what I wanted. And I said, I want you to sign these papers so I can get my birth certificate. So <laughs> she did. And I sent it in. And then when I got it back from Florida, vital statistics, Florida's awful to try and find your information. Yeah, but I heard. I got it back. It said, well, you filled the forms out, right? Um, but that is not the name on your birth certificate. I'm like, wow. And so... Anyway, I ended up, it's, it's too long of a story to go into, but I finally, you know, and she, to this day, she said, I would never lie and something like that. Yeah. But I yeah. ended up finding my father through a fluke. Somebody had put up, how I found my mother is somebody put up a, a, a tree but they hadn't tested so they put up a tree for who they thought everybody was uh -huh. and that kind of led me into finding my mother plus I had uh -huh. I had help in the end I got a search angel I had gone to uh, the adoption congress in um, Atlanta and uh -huh. uh, just eating it up and I still hadn't found anything I think I'd been searching the longest of anybody there and I ended up meeting a woman named Mary who became my search angel. She's in Texas and she doesn't do anything except in Texas, but she said she'd help me. And wow. And so she, but even her and Lana, DNA detectives, you know, I was in these groups by then and yeah. they weren't able to find anything and they got some other some other avenue they have, some other detective to look and they couldn't find anything. It's like, I was like, hopeless case and so when I finally did find my father who was even more elusive than my mother uh I, I ended up flying to Vegas and um meeting my brother and sister there wow rejection from you know you'd think that your sisters are the one that's going to embrace you sometimes for me, for me both my brothers embrace me both my sisters no and so one sister kind of, we spent a day or so, but her husband was like, what do you want to know any of this for? You know, some people don't like you being here and da, 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 da. So that was the end of that. And I had made a big tree when I found her and she, we went into her tree and she had thousands of people in the tree and wow. then we changed passcodes for our trees, whatever. And yeah. after I left, uh, he took her away so I couldn't be with her. And then uh, when I flew back, it's like um, my trees were wiped off my account that I had spent 
years building. Wow. And hers, I was blocked from hers. That is so sad. Why are people like that? That was like mean. Mean. What harm does it do to like share the truth? Like, I don't understand that. The truth. Yes. It's the... The, that's why my my subtitle is an adoptee's search for truth. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. That, that search for truth took me in a lot of different areas. Yeah, I bet. You know, I bet. all kinds it's, of medicinal areas and, you know, a bigger truth of not only who I am as an individual, but wait a minute. Who are we as a species, please? <laughs> But, you know, Atlantis, Lemuria, all of these things. I mean, it's proven. And we have all of this propaganda bullshit that we're told, like Columbus discovered America. Bullshit. So, you know, my book goes, it kind of branches out into the truth. What is the truth? And, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be helpful for adoptees to read, actually, because I have um, like a manifesto kind of it comes into a manifesto about um adoption and and my perspective so it's exciting I'm really glad to do this book I'm really excited you're writing a book just keep plugging at it little at a time and then when you're ready you'll be ready yeah yeah um yeah I you said you were involved in Broadway I just wanted to let you know I emailed you a link um that something you might be interested in okay when there was a summit in April called Untangling Our Roots. It was right. put on by two groups. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I was able to go. Oh, and so there was a um, Rich Erlob. I don't know if you know who he is. He's pretty active in the adoption reform angle uh-huh. of things. Um, but he is working on a Broadway musical, hopefully Broadway, really? a musical <laughs> about adoption. Oh, I love and, it. Uh, I love it. Yeah. I have numerous songs I've written about it. What's his last name? Rich? Um, Erlob. U-H-R-L-A-U-B. He's going to be on my podcast also sometime in the middle of July. Okay, great. That's great. And um, I'm trying to keep that up in my mind and take a look. And we need stuff like that. I got contacted by somebody. Uh, HBO is doing a, um, a series of uh called dna surprises really that'll be interesting yeah with real people you know with real adoptees and things so that that'll be interesting to see you know i mean the funding through hbo are they going to allow the truth to be shown we don't know that yet but yeah that it's out there the better i mean some of these shows I was watching a couple of years ago. I don't watch television actually, but I'd go over to my girlfriends and watch these shows. I forgot what it's called, you know, of different reunions and all of this stuff. You know, most of them have happy endings. Uh, they try not to show the ones that are terrible, but um, it that was like the only thing out there that you could watch. And yeah, most- there was that series on TLC where they do the searches, you know, based on ancestry. It. Right. You know, it's really nice. And it's just it blows my mind how a show like that is successful. Everybody loves these reunions, Uh you know, but when adoptees are out there talking about 
things that people should be thinking about when it comes to adoption. Right. Like they're like, ah, oh, shut up. You know, you get called every name in the book. You're told you're ungrateful. You know, right. would you have rather been aborted? All that kind of nasty stuff. And it's like, really? You know, I, I still, I have a really hard time understanding how people can just believe that infants are just interchangeable. It doesn't matter. Just as long as they have parents, that, that, that's all that matters, you know? And, and it's like, I don't get it. And then they throw things at you like DNA doesn't matter. And I'm like, then why does ancestry DNA make so much money every year if it doesn't matter? Right. You know? It's like, I forgot what the statistic is. The most recent, I looked it up, but it's amazing. And the majority of people um, are either adopted, have adopted, are in an adopted family, or have a friend, close friend that's adopted. That's the majority of the people in the world. It's huge, yeah. It's but huge. yet, two percent, two percent of Americans are adopted, I think. But yeah, it's crazy because there is no federal oversight. They have no idea how many adoptions happen every year. Oh, and I that know. really bothers I've, I've me. I've written to some of the biggest, right, asking for statistics. They don't have them. They don't want them. You know, it's such a money-making launder system of selling babies, no doubt. Oh, when I, I found my, uh, I found a receipt from the lawyer for my adoption. I'm like, ah, does that make me feel like a slave or what? And I, 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 I you want to please your parents, right? You owe them type of thing. And then, and, no, and get we don't owe them anything. They made that choice. Right. But that's what, uh, as a child, we may think that. I know I did. Yeah, I know. I know. I, I mean, I, sure. I don't, I don't think I felt that, but I do think that's like a generational thing also, uh -huh. you know, maybe like with an older generation, you were more obligated to feel like you owed them because they're taking care of you. But like right. the way I look at it, you know, if you choose to have a child or get a child or whatever it is, that's your responsibility. It's on you to do the job to take care of them. And they don't owe you gratitude for doing your job. You right. know what I mean? And exactly. so like, I, I, I it just, it's, well, I, it's I, unfortunately it's like the, it's the adoptee who needs the most support and help. Yes. And unfortunately, it's the adoptee who is the one that's going to turn this battle over. It's the adoptee tribe that is going to expose it all and bring it to light. And nobody else is going to do it. So it's, right. we just have to keep moving forward. And the more we join together, the better. The more books that are written about it, the better. The more that we can, you know, support one another in the adoptee triad. And it's great. I mean, I have one friend who wanted the experience of having a baby and didn't want to raise a kid. So she did that and, and then gave the baby away and freaked out and was finally gave, able to get her baby back again. And oh my goodness, uh, the, the, the trauma, like she's been in all these sides. So I've been a support system for her. And, and then there's, you know, the adoptees who are, are confused about who they are, or they don't have a connection really with a mother and father. And then, 
there's you know quite a few of them that become transgender or change their identity and have surgeries to be something else because there's that base core of um who am i where did i come from yeah exactly so it, I, it, I yeah go ahead i have a friend joey he made a little documentary about he's an ohio adoptee uh -huh. and when the records were opened he made a little documentary about getting his birth certificate and doing his search and everything and um it was very moving it was very moving and it was such a big deal like the most moving aspect of that film was on the first day that adoptees could go to vital statistics in columbus and get their original birth certificate there was a line out the building and around it oh i'm sure my good what's the name of his film uh it's called who am i really who am I really? Yeah, it's on, it's on um, YouTube. I, I might have seen that already. But yeah, I love to watch Joey, stuff like that. Joey Ashbridge. I got, I got goats and chickens and honeybees and uh, my life is so full. I want more time to, you know, watch movies and documentaries, which yeah. I have time. I'm going to go to Nashville to the uh, lifting, um, lifting the fog. Cause it's, oh it's yeah. Three hours. With Rebecca Autumn. Yeah. 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 I know. I know. I got to meet her at the summit too. She was on my podcast also. I Great. have a, a conversation with her and um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a very moving film. Um, uh, there's another one too, that they showed at the summit called the ghost kingdom. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh. It's, he made it all on iPhone. <laughs> Wow, And I think you can get it on Vimeo and it is really, really moving. It's like basically a one man show. He does it all himself. Uh -huh. He plays all the different characters Wow, and it, he really captures the emotion of that searching phase. And wow. like, it's, it's amazing. The fact that you did it all on an iPhone during the pandemic was amazing too. <laughs> Yeah. Well, the iPhones have such great cameras on them now. I'm, I'm going to yeah. start doing some videos. I just posted one on Instagram about why I wasn't able to launch my book on summer solstice. So now my news, my new actual book launch, I'm going to have it up on Ingram, I think within the week and okay. uh, my actual launch is um, going to be the super blue moon brightest moon of the year in august so that's august 30th it's a wednesday i'm gonna have a throw a big party here too it uh, have a big venue here and i'll be playing music have some musicians read a little of my book and have a good time that's great are you going to be doing any um traveling around the country and doing promotions and book signings and things like that um i'm, I'm not promoting myself to do that mm -hmm. um but you know, if I got asked, I would. I was supposed to go and speak at the Adoption Congress and giving a workshop called Beyond All Odds. And then the pandemic hit. That's when I found yeah. my brother. And so, and and do sing some of my story songs and adoption story songs. So um, they haven't got it together for this year to, to have a venue. So I don't know. Um, right. Supposed to be, I put it on my website that it's happening, but I don't know if it is or not. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to go to areas 
uh, where other adoptees and like going to Lifting in the Fog. I mean, I've seen the movie already. But yeah. My friend who gave away her child and got it back is uh, wants to go. And so we're going to do a double drive and Asheville to Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be nice. Um, yeah. They did announce that there's going to be another summit next year. It's going to be in Colorado. Oh. Um, yeah, I wish it was still going to be in Louisville because that was a little bit more accessible for me. I was able to drive there, but yeah, um, but yeah, it's going to be in Colorado next year in Denver, and I think it's in April sometime. I'm not sure the exact dates, but uh-huh. it was amazing to go, and I'm so glad that I got to go. I got to meet all these people that I've been talking to online through social media that are in the community, and it was amazing. So many hugs. I got to meet Renee of Saving Our Sisters, and Huh. And um, it was and, and Rebecca Autumn and and so many people. I want to uh, do that. I want to do that. My life has been so busy. I'm trying to free myself up. But once this book, because I've been working on this book for what four years, yeah, uh, so just to get to the final formatting's done. I'm a yeah. yeah. It looks good. I like the font and uh, yeah. I I really. I'm going to be reading more of it because it just really sucks me. And then, like I said, I kind of, I kind of have issues with reading because my, my brain gets tired, but I'm going to try and force my way through it because it's so good. Like already the small section that I'm into, I'm like, Oh my God, I love this. (laughs) So thank you. I'd love your feedback. If there's any place where it slows down for you or whatever, if you just let me know, not that I can do anything about it at this point. But yeah. I am in the process of writing two other books. One is oh, you Earth are? Haven. Yeah, one is how we did Earth Haven because it's internationally famous now. The, oh. The community that I... Yeah, yeah, I yeah. It would never leave me. And then the other one is called 108 Insights. And so it's more into, you know, spiritual day-to-day things, like one sentence on each page with photos and stuff. Interesting. Yeah. When you, if you ever make your way to West Virginia, there is, um, you're, you're talking about India. There is a Hare Krishna community in uh-huh. Moundsville and, um, they have what's called the palace of gold and new Vrindavan. It's amazing. Uh-huh. It, it must, it's probably like a little chunk of India has been sat here, you know, in, in West Virginia. And it was completely built by devotees of Krishna and uh Uh, it's it's beautiful it's a beautiful place they've got this little swan pond and peafowl walking around and there's cabins you can rent and they do like a free vegan buffet lunch for like anybody that comes every single day it's it's pretty amazing what they've done there and I'll have to go there. I don't think I've been there. I've been up to the lotus temples and that kind of thing and um that that's exciting and you said it's called Vrindavan and so I did a lot of work in Vrindavan. Vrindavan is the place of Krishna's birth and his playground and so one of the reasons I stayed in India so long is one day I saw an infant on the street with a dog chewing on its ear and I'm like wait a minute this is happening in the world I live in. Yeah. So I jumped into working on these projects um and was in friend of him called Vatsalia Gram. Vatsalia means mother's love and mm-hmm. Gram means place. 
So the place of mother's love. So I had just done 14 years of learning how to start an echo village and learning all that skills, going from a costume designer to a singer, to an actress, to that. Yeah. Oh, geez. I had all these skills. And one thing in India is there doesn't seem to be any organization at all. Yeah. You get on a road. I mean, it's, all the cars are going like this. There's no right. There's no left. There's no lights. There's, at least when I was there, and I lived in northern India, except for this time in Vrindavan, um, um, setting up communities yeah. that are alternatives for orphanages, um, single women mm-hmm. because they're shunned in India. Yeah, elders who have no family. So put them together in a family unit. Interesting. Worked great. It worked great. So, you know, there might be five kids in a family or more. And it was all women. There was no men in the family. It was just all women, grandmothers, aunties, uh, mothers, and all the kids. We had schools and all kinds of programs and playgrounds and oh it was was a crazy adventure and it became very popular and is now all over India so I I kind of passed my hats I don't know how much I wrote about it in the book but there's some in there called India beckons and uh yeah so it's very successful and the government I mean I was just raising money by donations and in the in the government was like hey this works we want to put one in every state wow they're called vatsaliagrams and yeah it's like kind of a co-housing type of thing like one building with like uh, four different apartments or more and then numerous buildings like that and then the communal areas for different things so it worked really good I don't know how I got started oh because you said Vrindavan so, that yeah. is, <laughs> the buffet. so that's how it's pronounced. I knew I was pronouncing it wrong. Can you say yeah. it again? Vrindavan. Vrindavan. Okay, Vrind- we've been calling Vrindavan. it Vrindavan because we don't know Sanskrit. Right. Vrindavan. Yeah, I learned Sanskrit. Vrindavan. So I, I, I learned it because I ne- I wanted to learn the language. And so yeah. I was, I mean, I could act out a lot and people could understand me, but then I got to learn the language and it's yeah. a beautiful language. So I think, I think like Sanskrit should be taught mm-hmm. in every school. It's a, really, it's, it's an educational language. Take the word, take the word for uh, enemy. The word for enemy, my computer's beeping, is um, dushman. Dush means bad, crap, no good. Man has two meanings. So man means mind and it also means heart. Oh, wow. And the translation of it is, if you have an enemy, it's you that has the bad mind and heart. Wow. The mind and heart are not able to be divided. So, you know, most of us let our minds rule us. And so that this is one of my books, The 108 Insights, is just every day to kind of like bring you into that awareness again of... um, being who we really are. Wow. Wow. 
Okay, they've got to definitely make a documentary about your life because. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it's, it's a couple of people have said that and they've suggested people to play me. I said, I'll come in at the end, you know, like, you know, Nancy Berry. No, 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 no. A documentary, not not a movie, like a documentary <laughs> where they're talking to you and you're telling your stories. That That's what <laughs> it should be. Yeah, I th I think that my book itself, and I took chapters out of this. I that's what took me so long. It was fifty-two <laughs> chapters, and oh my gosh, I just you know it, you know what they call it in the writing world. We mm -hmm. don't, we don't want to say it. It's kill your babies. It's like you've written all this stuff, and this is your baby, right? And then you got to go through and just take them out, and so. Oh, wow. I, you know, I have 33 chapters now, three, 33 or 34, and it was 50 something. So I've cut a lot out. There's stories within stories that you could take all that and make another book. Oh, I know. <laughs> but like, but, here's the excerpts that I didn't leave in the original one. So, yes, right. I can do a sequel. <laughs> Bonus content. Yeah, <laughs> that's fabulous. So I, right. I, uh, I hope we can meet up at one of these conferences or something. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was really great talking to you. And I'm going to really enjoy digging into your book more. Oh, so, great. Just read yeah, a chapter I, a night. I, I broke them up so that there is um, uh, sub-chapters. Uh, so okay. you can read a piece and, and think, okay, I'm going to pick it up tomorrow there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. So, all right. Well, you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks for making time to talk to me and and being on the podcast. And I will let you know when it's up. Okie dokie. Thank you. All right. Have a good day. Bye. Yeah. I want to hear more of your story too. It's quite outrageous. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> all okay. right. I'll talk later. Bye. Bye.